How's that? There you go. Well, how is everyone doing today? Well, that was okay. You know, for a congregation that got rated about a five on a scale of one to ten. How is everyone doing today? That was good. That was good. Great to see everyone today. Let's open with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, every time we come before your word, we pray, I hope, that all of us would come with reverence in our hearts, that our lives would be open to your Holy Spirit speaking to us and changing us in the moment. Lord, we give you that much room to move. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for this word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you uh, turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. The book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. We're going to get to that in, uh, in one second. As we continue our series on when life is tough, we come to the topic of bitterness. When you are bitter. It's a, po- it's a topic that is so damaging that the scriptures refer to it as spiritual poison, really, you know? And, and I believe everyone would agree that bitterness is not a healthy attribute to be associated with. But why is it so dangerous? Why is it so cancerous to the Christian especially? I believe it goes beyond the practical advice. You know, like don't eat yellow snow, right? If you're going to borrow money, borrow it from a pessimist because he won't really think you'll pay it back. You know, it's not like that. But it's more of, you know, real, real, like, life-threatening advice. It's a serious warning level. Like the bridge won't hold. Don't go there. Your life is in danger. And yet, I'm not quite sure our dealing with uh, bitterness has reflected the seriousness of it. Paul tells us that we should take it much more seriously. See, the nature of bitterness is this. It's cancerous by nature. It takes root and it starts to spread. Its effects are slow and systematic. And when it's infected the heart, you will never be the same again. You've heard the quotes. Bitterness is like the poison that you drink while you wait for the other person to die. It only affects its host, never its victim. You know, in his best-selling novel, Uh, The Telling Room by Michael uh, Paternity shares a story he heard when visiting his father's ancestral village of uh, Sicily. Every day while he was uh, in the village, he saw a very old woman walking with her cane, struggling up a steep road to get to the local cemetery. It was said that at her pace, if you can just imagine, right, the walk from her home to the cemetery and then back to her home, took about six hours out of her day. Six hours, every day. What grief inspired her difficult daily walk? Was she driven by sorrow over a a departed child or a deceased husband, the love of her life? No, the locals told paternity that she was driven by astio, or bitter 
hatred. Her arch enemy was buried in that cemetery. So rain or shine, the old woman walked up the hill every day to her enemy's graveside just to spit on it one more time. Perhaps you chuckle and say, well, that's not me. I'm not bitter. Well, let's take a test, which I call the eye test. All right, let's take a test. If the mention of someone's name makes you roll your eyes automatically, you may be bitter. If uh, one of your sayings is, as long, I'm okay as long as I don't have to see them, you may be bitter. If you can't look at someone straight in the eyes and genuinely say to them, I'm not bitter with you, you may be bitter. If your eyes get red, your blood pressure goes up and your teeth clench at the mention of someone's name, you may very well be bitter. You know, some of us may be bitter and we don't even know it. We may be holding a grudge, small or large, and it's been slowly eating away at our hearts, slowly eating away at our sense of what's right and what's wrong. You know, bitterness doesn't always show up in, this, in the classic Scrooge format. Most forms of bitterness goes under the radar and doesn't, doesn't manifest itself in any sort of actions or words. Most of us, in fact, who are bitter may have just decided to live with it. It's like finding out you have a, a little cancer and not deciding to do anything about it. As it eats away at your heart and everything that may be good and kind now becoming critical and cynical. And I tell you uh, to say that that's just the way I am is no longer an excuse. Because bitter people are never victims of a crime called bitterness. But rather, bitter people, those who hold grudges, those who choose harshness over kindness when given the chance, have only themselves to blame. See, where Paul places these two verses, verses 31 and 32 in Ephesians, right? Where he places them, we can see what he thinks about it. Let, let me read 31 and 32 to you if you don't have your Bibles. I'm going to read this in the ESV version. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. See, if you have your Bibles, flip to the beginning of chapter 4. He begins this chapter speaking to the topic of the unity of the body of Christ. How we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which we have been called. That's verse 1. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That's verse 2. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of of peace. Let me repeat that last part. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Which then he continues on to say in the next section of this chapter, of his letter to the uh, church at Ephesus, this idea of this is how you used to live as Gentiles. 
right, before Christ. You must no longer live this way in the futility of their minds that we are to, verse 22, uh, verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And then verse 24, he says, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, right? He compares the two, the old life and the new life. It is then that we find ourselves in this section of his letter, when he starts off with the word, therefore. All of this, these things that I've just told you, I'm going to tell you what these are there for, right? He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, this is not really how we should be as Christians. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Do you sense this idea of unity going throughout this entire portion of his letter? This idea that we are one in the body of Christ. See, again, he reiterates this idea of unity. And this idea of living truthfully. Or as it reflects our connectedness to Jesus Christ through faith. This idea of being identified with him, as we like to say, that we represent Jesus. And it's in this section that Paul launches into a series of clarifying statements about what it means to represent Jesus, living in truth. He starts with verse 26. He says, be angry, but don't sin. Verse 28, steal no longer, but work and share. He says, no more corrupt talking, but words that build up. See how it's very clarifying? Then he says, put away from you bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, but rather be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. But I believe it's verse 30 that holds the key idea of what Paul thinks about bitterness. And verse 30 says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. We can see that bitterness, along with the litany of characteristics listed in this section, are basically relationship killers. I don't have to tell you that. Bitterness is a relationship killer, right? In a chapter that calls for us to be people living a life worthy of the one calling in Christ, to harbor bitterness in our hearts for someone is a dangerous thing to do. It not only risks the relationship, but it risks grieving the Holy Spirit of God with whom we were sealed. And for us to do this would be living hypocritically, incongruent, inconsistent with the witness of God's Spirit in our hearts. You know, N.T. Wright, one of my favorite biblical scholars, in his uh, commentary, there's a little commentary, it's called Paul for Everyone. 
he comments, you should behave as those on whom God's Holy Spirit has placed God's mark. A seal or a stamp, an official stamp on a document or package marked out for a particular use or occasion. The mark indicates who it belongs to and what it's for. People who are enslaved to anger and malice and bitterness may think that they are free to be themselves. 